right, get your Bibles open. Second Thessalonians chapter one. We're continuing to move along in our series called the Return, and uh, we're moving from First Thessalonians into Second Thessalonians. Some of you are going, Pastor. We didn't do the last chapter of First Thessalonians. I know it because Pastor Keith was here, and uh, and 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 we gave that to him. Uh, but it was well worth it. So read First Thessalonians chapter five on your own. Uh, but we will move into Second Thessalonians so we can fit it into the rest of this month. And, uh, and I'm going to start reading. If you look on the screen with me, we'll start reading in verse 1, which is a good place to start. Amen? It says, This letter is from Paul and Silas and Timothy, and we're writing to the church in Thessalonica, to you who belong to God our Father and to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul has a great prayer here. He says, May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And then he highlights a couple things here regarding the church's testimony that I would like us to focus on today. In verse 3, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you. And here's why. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is the, the source of his thanksgiving. And I think this is a good template for us to examine our own church as a church family. Paul says, here's why I'm thankful for you. He says, your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. Your faith is flourishing and your love is growing. I think this is a great template for us as people of God. If we want to know how are we really doing, uh, and again, I'm mindful of Pastor Keith's challenge last week. How many of you know there should always be something in your life that's keeping you pressing into God, and it's keeping you stretching your faith and believing? In other words, we should get used to challenges, trials, impossibilities, those types of things are normal routine ground for us in the body of Christ. In fact, how many of you know if there's something like that in front of you that's challenging you, it usually causes you to press in in your relationship with God? And how many of you know that's a good thing? So if you've got something weighing down on you or, or something in front of you where you're going, wow, what are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? If you'll handle it correctly and not freak out, but you'll faith out, all right? Don't freak out, but faith out. In other words, what do you mean by that? Don't act like the world, like you don't have any resources. Act like you're partnering with the King of glory, the God for whom nothing is impossible, and take those challenges and put them before the Lord. Now, there are personal challenges, but there are also corporate challenges as a church family. And we're going to be sharing some of those with you. I believe it's time for us to to uh, stretch our faith muscle more than we have, at least recently, uh, and that we need to be buff and spiritually fit. So we're going to have a faith that's flourishing. And that deals with the vertical response to God. It deals with our, our, our focus on Him, trusting Him, believing Him, honoring Him. But look at when our faith is right, look at the second part of this verse. Their love for each other continued to grow. And I just want to say this, you know, if in a healthy church, people will really love each other. They won't try to love each other. They really do love each other. They do life together. They support one another. They get involved in each other's worlds. They, they uh, fellowship. They, they uh, do cookouts. They do weddings. They do all kinds of stuff together in the normal flow of life. But how many of you know a true sign that you're healthy is you should be able to look around this room and have a great deal of love in your heart towards the people of God. Faith towards the Lord, love towards the saints. That, that's a sign of a dynamic, healthy congregation. It's really the essence of our Christian life. So let's move on to verse 4. Paul says, We proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness in all the persecutions and hardships that you're suffering. I want you to see a couple of things that Paul highlights here again. He talked about faith and love in the previous verse. Here he highlights a couple other qualities that a church should have. Number one is endurance. 
Why do we need endurance? Isn't it interesting as we've been working through First and Second Thessalonians that it's hard for us to get past a chapter without Paul reminding the church that trials and challenges are a normal part of the Christian experience. Now, we don't like to hear that, but isn't that a, a benefit of actually preaching verse through verse through the Bible is you can't skip the unpleasant parts, at least the things that are unpleasant to us. But Paul says, look, this is what I admire about you guys, your endurance. In other words, you don't quit. Everybody say, don't quit. You know, as we're facing challenges, it's so easy for people to just check out and just say, you know what, I thought that this Christian life thing was supposed, God was supposed to make all my dreams come true and he was going to smooth out my rough roads and everything was going to live happily ever after. How many of you know you got sold a false gospel? Now the Lord promises to be with us. The Lord promises to bring us through. The Lord promises to heal our bodies. The Lord promises to supply our needs. But all of that comes in the context of Life on this planet, which is warfare, amen? This is not our home. We've, we try to remind us of that. This isn't heaven. Uh, this is enemy-occupied territory, which is why, as our brother Sean pointed out, we need to be involved in changing hearts and lives so we can change and redeem a culture that's broken and hurting around us. But you're going to need endurance. You're going to need to have that stick to that you will not quit. And look at the second quality here he mentions. It's a quality of faithfulness. Faithfulness. I like to define faithfulness as this. You're not going to cave in and you're not going to compromise. How many of you know if you're, if I'm faithful to my wife, there's a sense of fidelity in our relationship where I don't compromise with other situations around me, other people around me, other ladies around me. There's a sense of fidelity to her and faithfulness to her. It's the same thing in our relationship with God. There are a lot of people today. In fact, we're, I was just at a, uh, at a hearing down at the state house where a Christian leader was saying that there are certain things we, the church needs to evolve on. And they had to do with moral issues and the historic teaching of the church. How I many of you know that's not faithfulness to Christ? Evolving on issues, changing the scripture to fit into our culture, what's acceptable in our culture, is not faithfulness to Christ. I just got a call. This was, this is amazing. This just showed up on my Twitter feed this morning. But it was probably, I don't know how many months now. Ago, I got called from a. I think I told you all about it. It was a. It was a. Uh, the Canadian Broadcasting Company, which, as you know, our, our neighbors to the north have become very, very liberal, and uh, and they were intrigued that I took part in that purity ball with our with our daughters a, a few years back. And so this thing still has a life. Okay, it's still going on. So they called me up. And they were so intrigued about this whole thing, and I had the opportunity to put a kingdom twist on purity. And actually present purity in a way that was positive, not saying no, but saying yes, amen? Not saying no, that we can't act these certain ways, but saying yes, let's let's save ourselves and save our sexuality for the proper context. And this is actually a great thing. Well, after all these months of not hearing from them, what pops up on my Twitter feed today was this elaborate article that they did. And I was so excited because they got me quoted correctly. And I was like, yes. Um, and uh, so anyway, but, but my point is this, we don't have to, we don't have to compromise on truth. We just need to articulate it 
in a manner that is winsome. I mean, you know, God's really smart. Truth is really great. And when we do it God's way, we get blessed. So part of our challenge in this culture is to say, you know what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the standards of God's word. Let me tell you what we believe and why we believe. And here's the beauty of it and the superiority of our worldview. We should be so excited that God has encountered us by his mercy, that he's spoken to us through his word, and that we have the answers to, to society's most pressing problems. Amen? And check this out. We're not ashamed of it. <laughs> We're excited about it. I told Marion, I said after that interview, oh, I wish I wish I would have taped it because how many of you know there are times when you feel so anointed of God and the words just flow out of your mouth and you just go, that was totally amazing. How did that happen? And you know that it was God. It was one of those moments. So I hope they taped it. If they did, I'll, I'll share it with you because it was a great moment. All right, so endurance and faithfulness. Endurance and faithfulness. If you're going through something challenging now, let me encourage you with two things. Endure, do not quit. And secondly, be faithful to God and watch how God will show up faithful on your behalf. Look at verse 5 with me as we're making our way through chapter 1. It says, God will use this persecution to show his justice and to make you worthy of his kingdom for which you are suffering. In his justice, he will pay back those who persecute you. Now, this is an incredible, incredible verse here with tons of great news. First of all, I want you to see this. There are people, when they go through tragedy in life, the number one question that we ask is the question, why? Are you with me? Why? The question, why, means you believe that life has meaning. How many of you know that's a good thing? If you never ask why then that would believe you didn't care or that there wasn't supposed to be a why. But here's the good news for for Christians. When we're going through a challenge or we're going through a hardship or we experience loss or we go through suffering or we are persecuted for the gospel's sake, the Bible tells us right here, God will use it. In other words, God takes every single difficult situation, if we'll put it in his hands, and he will redeem it and transform it, and I'm going to have you know, we don't always understand the reason this side of eternity, but let me just tell you this. There will be a day when God opens our eyes and you will understand every single difficulty or hardship you went through and you will be stunned at the wisdom and mercy of God. I'm going to say that again. You will absolutely be stunned and you'll say, that's why. You weren't trying to harm me. You weren't trying to hurt me. There was a reason behind this that will become incredibly clear. Because listen, we do not live in a meaningless world. We live in a God-created world. Everything that happens is meaningful for the believer. Including the suffering and the tragedy and all that the world is faced with right now. There is meaningfulness in it if we'll turn to the Lord and trust Him. But Paul gives here twin Two uh, purposes, twin purposes for our trials. And I want to hit these real quick. The first one, the Bible says, is to show us his justice. Now, how many of you know when you go through a hardship or somebody does something to you that's just flat out wrong, that's evil? And how many of you know the world's full of th- these situations? What we usually deal with is this sense of, you know what, I, I, there's been an injustice. In other words, what happened to me was wrong. And C.S. Lewis pointed out that one of the biggest arguments for the existence of God is the fact that inside every single human being is a cry for justice. 
And let me ask you this question. Where did that come from? How did that evolve inside of you from matter and chemicals, a sense of justice? Well, let me just tell you, it didn't evolve. It's there because God created created you in his image and likeness. And you inherently know that there's a right and a wrong. And you inherently know that if there's been an, an injustice, that injustice should be made right. But how many of you know those inju- most injustices this side of eternity will not be made right? There's injustice all over the world. But the fact that there is points to the fact that there is a God in heaven who is perfect in all of his ways, who's perfect in his knowledge, and he's perfect in his justice, and nothing that has ever happened in secret, in, in the hidden places where they got, they got away with it, they hired the right attorney. Are you kidding me? Everybody's going to stand before the judgment throne of God Almighty. And justice will be perfectly measured out. Now, this is awesome. I want you to see this, though. This is kind of, when we think of this language, look at verse 6. In his justice, God's going to pay back those who persecute you. We're like, yeah, you know, that carnal side of us. Get him, God. No, this is not a vindictiveness on God's part. Like, oh, yeah, well, you, you were mean to me. Wait till you see what I'm going to do to you. Now, Brent and I would do this with, uh, with our, you know, our, our practical jokes on each other, you know. One guy gets the other guy, and we're like, oh, yeah, wait till you see what I'm going to do to you. And, I mean, you know, you can do that practical joke-wise, but I'm talking here about justice. I'm talking here about vengeance, which is why the Lord tells us, you know, don't take vengeance into your own hands. Don't, don't try to pay people back. Just keep loving people. And don't say, you know what, that was wrong, and I can't believe this happened. God, I can't believe you. I can't believe you allowed this. Listen, if God allowed it, there's a time coming when God is going to give you recompense. And it's not so much about unfair unfair hey we live in an unfair world here's what it's about it's about embracing the fact that god is watching and a day is coming when you're going to be rewarded not so much on uh, on the uh, repayment of the injustice but listen how you handled in a righteous way the injustice that you were faced with because the day is coming when god will pay back not again in a kind of a a petty uh, vindictiveness. But listen, his justice, his, his wrath refers to the firm administration of his unwavering justice. Isn't this good? The firm administration of his unwavering justice. And let me just tell you this. We need to hear this in our culture today. Evil will not ultimately triumph. Evil will not ultimately triumph. The wicked who think they're getting away with it now, they're not getting away with anything ultimately. It will all be exposed. God will bring justice. Hallelujah. So if you're going through something where there's been a terrible injustice that's happened to you, recognize it's not an accident. Recognize that God will use this persecution to ultimately reveal his great justice and mercy. And you will be rewarded, if not in this life, ultimately. And that's what we hold on to. But what's the second reason why God allows this kind of stuff to happen to his people? Why do we have to go through difficult times? The Bible says here, to make us worthy. To make us worthy. Now sometimes, how many of you think when you think, I I need to be worthy, that means in your mind, I need to work harder, I got to try harder, I got to be a better person. Let me just tell you, that's not what this word means. Let me give you an illustration of what this word means. Some of you know this was years ago. We got a lot of new faces in our church, and you might not know this, but years ago when I was a youth pastor here, 
Um, God had a divine setup for me to run for state representative, and I can't get into all the details for that, but I was apprehended. I was, I had, I had no, uh, you know, job description that would qualify me for being a state representative, but nevertheless, there we found ourselves in this great race for state rep. And in the world of politics, everything happens at the very last moment. So my yard was suffering, my house was suffering, because we were campaigning all the time. I was working this job full time, and then after work, campaigning full time till the sun went down. And we did that for months. And so uh, my yard was in serious need of trimming and all that kind of stuff. And we got word 24 hours in advance that a U.S. senator was coming to our house to stump for me at my house. And we looked at each other, and this is what we said in paraphrase. This house needs to be made worthy of the visit of a U.S. senator who happened to be up for a Nobel Peace Prize who was coming to the youth pastor's house to be on my back porch to say, vote for Ron Johnson for state representative. We we had this you know sense of sheer joy and excitement, and then it was followed by, look at this house. <laughs> we can't have a U.S. senator show up at this house. So some of you were there, and it was great. Everybody in our church family rallied around us. In fact, Ty was out at my house with with hedge clippers. I mean, he was trimming all these shrubs, and we went out. We bought new carpeting to to put at the entryway. Um, and I mean, we did, we had ladies over there cleaning, scrubbing, mopping our floors. I mean, it was incredible. And within 24 hours, it was made worthy. Yeah, <laughs> hey, some of you are going. I'm going to run for office. Hey, help me out. We caught you. That's not going to work. All right, it has to be legit. All right, but here's the deal. The idea of being made worthy, I mean, you know, only Jesus makes us worthy, ultimately. But how I many you know we have a part to play? Like, I just saw a beautiful bride yesterday, all right? I guarantee you that bride was making herself ready, all right? In other words, I'm, I, she made herself worthy to be the wife of uh, of her groom, all right? Um, there's preparation going on. And the idea here is we should be looking more like Jesus and actively pursuing Christ's likeness. Can I get an amen from anybody? In other words, we know that he's coming. Are you fitted to be married to Jesus? Oh, are you fitted? Are you ready? Have you put your best foot forward in the grace of God not to earn your salvation, but to have a sense of readiness. Think about that. It's pretty stunning, pretty awesome what's going to be happening here at the end of the age. Being made worthy means fitted, proper, appropriate, which is why, have you figured out, we grow best not during the mountaintop times when everything is hunky-dory. We grow best when we're fighting for our lives. Usually that's when we are closest to God. I I hate to bring this truth out, but am I speaking the truth? Isn't it interesting how we just sit back in our lounge chairs and we sip our spiritual lemonade and we say, isn't God good? While we just get really lazy and sluggish. But the times when you are growing the most is when you're sticking your neck out and you're having to trust God. Tim, I'm looking at, Tim's an entrepreneur. I mean, anybody that would start their own business will eventually know how to have an encounter with Jesus. Because, and in fact, I was talking with Brent Burnett, another entrepreneur, talking to Brent Burnett yesterday. He said, Pastor, the Sunday I got up, 
and talked about giving and sowing, I had just finished my last job and there were no jobs on the horizon. And I'm talking about having faith in God and believing Him for finances and honoring God with your resources. And he said, Pastor, do you know that I stood up there going, God, I'm saying it, and I think I believe it, but I'm going to have to walk this out and really trust you. And right after he said that, after church, a lady came up to him and said, do you refinish floors? And he said, as a matter of fact, I do. And he said, from that point on, my whole world blew up with jobs. How many of you know... If you're going to run your own business, you're going to have to trust the Lord and the Holy Spirit to connect you. And that's faith. That's faith. But you're the most fully alive when you're living on the edge. And that's the way God's wired this. So he says, look, you're going to go through some tough stuff. But I'm doing this to fit you for the next life. Or I'm fit you for relationship with me. Now, I don't generally touch on these verses. Most pastors in America don't touch on this next topic, but I think it's very, very important if we're going to be Bible-centered, Christ-centered, that we don't skip over these verses. These are powerful verses. Look, look at verse 7 with me. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted, and also for us. When does this rest come? When the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. <laughs> I heard the story of Pastor Cho, you know, pastors the world's largest church. And after there was a million souls that he was responsible for, he told his wife, Honey, we're going to take a year cruise and just cruise around the world, and, and we're just going to relax. And if you know the story, he got before the Lord in prayer, and he decided he was going to share that idea with the Lord. And the Lord said, No, you're not. And he said, well, yeah, you know, Lord, we look at what you've done. We're at the biggest church in the world, over a million people gathering together for worship. And we're just going to take a year off and, and cruise around and just chill out. And the Lord says, no, that's what heaven is. It's an eternal chill out. But this is not heaven. We have work to do. And I'm not talking about taking vacations. I'm not talking about the importance of recreation and catching your breath. But how many of you know this is not the love boat here? This is a battleship. There are souls in the balance. The, the love boat's coming. But it isn't here yet. So don't get confused about where you're at. Look at what it says. He, he will come with his mighty angels. Look at verse 8. In flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God. And who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished. How will they be punished? With eternal. Everybody say eternal. Eternal destruction. Forever. Everybody say forever. Forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. And when that day comes, it says he will receive glory from his holy people and praise from all who believe. And this includes you. For you believed what we were told, what we told you about him. Now, let me just tell you today, it's very, very unfashionable, not politically correct to talk about judgment and hell. But guess who talked about hell more than anybody? Jesus. And if you don't like hell, you don't like Jesus. And if you don't like talking about it or thinking about it, you're missing an important part of the gospel. And the good news of why Jesus came. So can we pause here for a moment? Some people have this idea that hell and judgment and all that kind of stuff was just the Old Testament, right? When God was mad. 
But now God's happy in the New Testament, and we don't talk about all those things. This is the New Testament, in case you guys forgot. This is Second Thessalonians. This is the New Covenant. And we're talking about flaming fire and angels and eternal judgment and forever being separated. This language is very strong. Now, the other thing that you'll find people doing today is you'll find people suggesting that hell could never be eternal, that the torment could never be forever, that the separation and the darkness and all the things that the Bible describes about hell, that that could never be eternal because that would not be fitting with a loving God. How many of you heard that one? Well, let me just tell you something. If that's your conception, you don't understand two things very well. You don't understand the holiness of God very well. You don't understand the egregiousness of sin. And you don't understand the hatred in God's heart for anything that would seek to destroy people made in his image and likeness or attack his great glory. Because the Judgment of God is nothing but his action to punish sin. And I'll add this adjective. It's his loving action to punish sin. It's because God loves his glory and because God loves us that he would express this rage, outrage against sin, which seeks to destroy his glory and seeks to destroy people made in his image and likeness. Now, I want you to see something here. The reason hell is hell is because we will be forever separated from the only one who can give us lasting joy, and that's God himself. Hell is ultimately a separation from the source of our joy and the source of our life and the source of our blessing. And I want you to think about this for a moment, because this is always always a touchy subject for us, because if we really connect the dots, all of us should be thinking right now about people in our lives that don't know Jesus. Because this is serious. This is a forever separation from God. Forever. I mean, you know, that's a long time. It talks about eternal destruction, which means this is not a momentary suffering. This is an eternal. This is forever. You say, how in the world could God put people through an eternal destruction? Again, it's because you don't understand the greatness of who he is. And how many know we're going to live in an eternal state of joy and blessing and health and prosperity in every way? Does it not make sense that the very opposite of that, when his judgment comes, that would be the very opposite eternally with the same joys and the blessings we're experiencing eternally? So let me just hit a few bullet points here. God's God's judgment is eternal. Secondly, it's deserved. And I just want to drive this home. There will not be one person that spends eternity separated from God who absolutely doesn't deserve it. How do we know that? Because God's wise and because God is just. I'm going to say this loudly and clearly to us. It is impossible for God to do wrong. Which is why it's foolish when we're mad at God because he mistreated us or did something wrong. God cannot do wrong. There will not be one person in hell that doesn't absolutely deserve to be there because God is just. It's going to be terrible and it's going to be inescapable and we need to let the weight of that settle in on us. Because, you know, we just had, why do we make room for missionaries from the field to come and to share their lives with us, to share their heart with us? How many know there are dark places in the world where evil has a stronghold 
And it's our responsibility to take the good news that Jesus already bore the wrath of God on our behalf. And if we'll just run to the cross and run to him, there's mercy and forgiveness. This is the good news. But there's people all over the world that are waiting to hear. This is is why we're concerned. This is why we invest. This is why we partner. This is why we go. Because verses like this are real. And verses like this should motivate us to action. Does that make sense? So never, ever, ever be like, oh, you know, we're, we're listening to mis- another missionary from someplace. No, it's like, yes, we get to listen to, what are you doing? How can we help? How can we partner? Because your work is our work. Amen? It's not just for people who are into missions. Hey, we're into the mission of Jesus. Amen? Jesus' mission for all of us is to reach the entire globe with the good news of the gospel. That's what we're after. God's wrath is just. God's wrath is to be feared. Uh, it's a demonstration of his love and action against sin. And as I said, the good news is it has been satisfied. The wrath of God has been fully satisfied in Jesus Christ. I like what John Piper says here. He says, the Son of God expressed the love of God to save us from the wrath of God so we could enjoy the presence of God. I'm going to say that again. The Son of God expressed the love of God to save us from the wrath of God so we could enjoy the presence of God forever and ever and ever. That's the good news of the gospel. So let me wrap this up this morning. We just got a couple minutes left. Look at verse 11 with me. So we keep on praying for you, Paul says. What's he praying about? Here's what he's asking. He says, we're asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. And he says, then the name of the Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with him. And I like this ending. This is very, very important. We're going to touch on this. This is all made possible because of the grace of our Lord uh, Jesus, our, of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. All right? Here's Paul's three prayer requests. This is, this is a prayer request for us, that we would be enabled to live a worthy life. How many of you want more grace to do that? That at the end of your journey, you can look back and you can say, you know what? I ran a good race. I finished the course. Amen. I finished well. Praise the Lord. Secondly, that we are empowered to accomplish good things prompted by faith. I want to drive this home this morning. God is wanting to prompt us to do things that initially hit our minds and we go, seriously? Is that God? Yes. You've been prompted by the Holy Spirit. And what is he prompting? He's messing with your faith. He's wanting you to believe him. And can I just tell you something? The longer you wait on the prompting, the weaker it gets. How many of you know in your own nature when God's pushing you, prompting, I don't mean pushing you like shoving you, but he's, he's stirring you up. He just dropped an idea in your head. And then you start to analyze it. The longer you analyze the longer the time happens in between action and, and the prompting, and eventually you, you miss out on a great blessing of God. Let me just teach you something. When you're sitting in church and you're in the presence of God, you're worshiping Jesus, and all of a sudden an idea drops into your spirit. Let me help you. It was God. And if it's so big and so radical and so generous that it causes you to say, Really? It's really God. Are you all to understand what I'm saying? Some of the most awesome, crazy God ideas that I ever had happened in an atmosphere of worship. How many of you know the devil doesn't usually sneak into the worship service and challenge you to do something radical for God? 
No, Satan, I know that was you. No, you were just singing and magnifying the greatness of God. How many of you know the devil's like running a thousand miles from this place when God's people are gathered? He freaks out, all right? That's the Holy Spirit dropping things into you, prompting you to move in faith. When God prompts you to move in faith, act on it right away. Sometimes it's financial. Hey, those folks are needing money from Mongolia. And the Lord says, I want you to write a check for $1,000. And you go, hallelujah, come again. Wait, let me, let me get my antenna up and make sure that was the Lord asking me. Yes, it was the Lord. But you're going, but, 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 don't, but God. It's by grace God says these things, and it's grace that comes alongside of you to do what is humanly impossible to do. And then here's what happens. You go, yes. Have any of you ever had God show up? You know what I'm talking about? You step out in faith, you're out there, it's like you're, you know, they're sawing the branch off the tree and you're sitting on it, and you're going, Lord, you better show up. And he shows up. And then you just go, yes, I knew. Okay, I didn't know for sure, but I believe that you would show up. And it builds your faith. So God wants to empower us to do good things prompted by faith. All of this results in an exaltation of the greatness of God. And I love this. It's like the end of the commercial. All of this has been made possible. By grace, right? Everything that we do in our lives that get, that gives God any kind of glory is made possible by grace. And what does that mean? It just simply reminds us that at the end of every act of faith, God is the one who gets the glory. We're the one who gets the joy. God gets the glory so that in all things he might be praised. I like what First Peter 4.11 says. I'll end with this. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping other people? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. And look at how how Peter ends this. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All the glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. The sooner we get that, the sooner we understand the way God has wired this the more we'll willingly cooperate and just go with the flow and see what God's going to do. We'll get the exciting, awesome life and stories, and God will get the amazing fruit and all the glory from it. That's what it's about. But, hey, you know, I, I, I'm shutting up right here. But this passage on um, on the, the wrath to come and the, judge, the judgment of God, meditate on that this week, will you? If anything, it will stir us up to really realize... Uh, where this is all headed and the weightiness of our lives. You know, your life really matters. The people around you are souls. They're, they're going somewhere. You know, Matt, every day you are on the work side, right? You work with guys that are far from God. Far from God. In light of this, what does that mean? How do we pray differently? How do we ask, you know, Lord, open up some doors here. Let, let, let me witness to these guys. I think it should put a fire in all of our hearts as we go out in the world to, to, to look again with the fact that Christ is coming and that once he comes, there's no like do-overs. <laughs> you know, we, there's no reincarnation. It's appointed for a man once to die, then the judgment. Let me just say this too as we close. Are you living, are you living a life worthy? Isn't it great to have a church full of life? I, I mean, praise God for babies. I'm grateful for babies. Listen. <laughs> hey, 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 we got your attention. Listen to me. This is important. Are we living a life worthy of the call? 
You know, there's a certain sense when you understand salvation where you're just like, Jesus, I want to give it all. I, I want to make my life count. I want to, I want to max out what you have blessed me with. How many of you know we're saved by grace? What an amazing thing. None of us are here on our own virtue. Aren't you glad that God saved you? Like, why me? I'm grateful God saved me. But, you know, he saved us for a purpose. And our job is to spread the good news everywhere we go. And so how about if we believe God today just for a, maybe some of you need to go, man, Lord, I've been a little slack here. I've been allowing things to creep in. God, I just want to be sharp. Man, that's the Holy Spirit right there. That's the Holy Spirit. I want to be sharp. We should be sharp. Stand to your feet with me. I want to pray for you. And there might be somebody here today that doesn't know Christ. And uh, part of the reason I believe the Holy Spirit puts us in the Scripture is to make sure that you never have to face what we just read about. And, you know, it's the grace of God, the mercy of God that draws you to repentance. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, don't leave here today without coming forward here. Right after the service, we're going to be up here waiting for you. That's why we're here. We want to pray with people. We're going to be waiting for you. We're expecting you. If you don't know Jesus and you're not sure you'd be ready for that for that day right there, but you want to be, we want to pray with you. And you know what? Jesus can settle that whole situation right now. He can change everything. He's the one that took the wrath of God upon himself for us so that we could take upon ourselves the grace and mercy and forgiveness of the Lord. So, Father, I just pray right now that the spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit, would go all over this audience. Lord, if there are any within the sound of my voice that don't know you, God, that your spirit even now would capture their hearts. This is, this is your day. And that this would be the day of salvation for you. There might be some of you that even heard God speaking some things, maybe about Cambodia, who knows, maybe about the mission field, maybe about sowing or giving. Uh, you heard that in your spirit today. I just want to encourage you, act upon what you heard. Act upon what you heard. What is it that God is speaking to you? Even now, as we talked about lost people, maybe family members, maybe people you work with, maybe the Holy Spirit just dropped a name in your mind. And that name is somebody God wants you to begin praying for and beginning to go after their souls in prayer so that you can believe with him that it's their time for salvation. So be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you right now. Lord, bless our church family. May we be marked by an endurance, Lord. May we be marked by a faithfulness. God, may our faith flourish and may our love for one another continue to grow. So God, that this would be a tangible expression Right here, Crown Point, Indiana, this would be a tangible expression of the kingdom of God, that people could come and experience life among us and say, wow, this is this is like heaven on earth because of our love for you and our love for each other. So, Lord, I just pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen.